Hey everyone, this is Sarah with Corn Fed Witch here for another awesome episode of Corn Fed Witch. I realized I was being redundant, but I don't care. I'm here to talk about witchcraft and enlighten you on to some information that may be pertinent, especially to the new practitioner. Now, older practitioners or more experienced practitioners may be maybe get something out of this but really this is geared towards the beginner the neophyte what have you so in addition well in addition well first off i do want to apologize for going dark last week my mom had a heart procedure and that kind of like threw things out of whack and i should have given an explanation but i lost track of days and especially with the quarantine it kind of sucked Realized that I shouldn't be making excuses. I should own up. But I wanted you to have an understanding of what happened. So anyway, on with the show. Uh, today, I am going to introduce the, the father of modern witchcraft. He wasn't the first. There are many notable witches and practitioners and magicians before him. But I feel that he... He is a major player, especially with Wicca. He's actually regarded as the father of modern-day Wicca or witchcraft. You may have heard of him. He is actually kind of used as like a litmus test to to find out if someone's legit or not. If if I if someone says that they're a practitioner of Wicca, and since it's an initiatory to religion, some people misappropriate that term. They they see that they're Wicca, but they're Wiccan, but they're not, they've never been initiated, or they don't have plans to, or they haven't done their research, or they're not dedicated, or somehow because you can be a Wiccan and self initiate and self dedicate, etc. But if they've never heard of Gerald Gardner, then I would maybe doubt anything that they're saying. So that's how I like to keep it real. So. Without much further ado, this is Gerald Gardner. So, Gerald Brousseau Gardner, he lived from 1884 to 1964 and was born on Lancashire, England. As a teen, he moved to Ceylon and shortly prior to World War I, relocated to Malaya, where he worked as a civil servant. During his travels, he formed an interest in native cultures and became a bit of an amateur folklorist. In particular, he was interested in indigenous magic and ritual practices. Now, this is coming from LearnReligions.com. I forgot to state my source. And I believe he worked with leather, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me bring that up here, because I am taking a history class. So, here's more information here that I think is a little bit more accurate. So, Jared Gardner was born in Lancashire, England, to William Robert Gardner and Louise Bergelieu Ennis on Friday the 13th, June 19, not 19, 1884, and spent most of his childhood traveling. Due to the amount of time spent traveling, Gardner did not attend school and was never formally educated. He spent most of his time reading and learning about foreign cultures. It was due to reading There Is No Death by Florence Marriott that Gardner developed a belief in the afterlife. In 1900, Gardner's nanny Georgiana McCummy married David Elkington and it was agreed that he would go to live with him on a tea plantation in Sri Lanka. Gardner spent a considerable time 
considerable amount of time with the natives here and soon began his study of Buddhism. He spent the next four years learning the tea trade until his family Father asked him to go take over a rubber plantation known as the Atlanta State. There it is. It was rubber, not leather. During his time, he also explored his growing interest in weaponry and hunt and hunting. So, Gardner returned to a, for a brief visit in, in Britain in 1907, spending a considerable amount of time with his relatives, the Zirganissons. I think I mispronounced that. It was through them that Gardner learned of the paranormal due to the rumor that his grandfather had actually been a practicing witch. This was combined with other rumors that one of his ancestors had been burned as a witch in Scotland in 1610. Gardner was first initiated into the Sphinx Lodge as an apprentice Freemason in 1910. Oh, that one of his, his ancestors weren't bur burned in 1910. They were 1610. I'm sorry about that. So he joined the Freemason, which you probably have heard of. They're more of an esoteric society now than of a secret society. But he began there. He studied for a bit with some major players in, in magical history. Do, do, do. He actually... Continued the work on and off in the rubber industry until his return to Britain in 1927 when his father was ill. And this is where he met his soon to be wife, Dorothea Frances Rosedale. And so they were married shortly after meeting. And dude, this goes on and on, I'm sorry. So he entered into archaeology and began to study. And then he got involved with the Rosicrucian Order. Which was also kind of more esoteric society today. It was founded in a theater. And then he, that's where he met Edith Woodward, Woodford Grimes, which led to a series of events that would end him in the New Forest Covenant's founding of Wicca. So the New Forest Coven, it may or may not have existed. So let's go ahead and gra go back to learnreligions.com. The information did come from my seminary school where I am taking history class. So, this is how, this is about when he decided to form his Gardnerian Wicca. So, after several decades abroad, Gardner returned to England in the 1930s and settled near the New Forest. It was here that he had discovered European occultism and beliefs, and according to his biography, claimed that he was initiated into the New Forest Coven. Gardner believed that witchcraft being practiced by this group was a holdover from early pre-Christian witch cults much like the ones described in the writings of Margaret Murray, who is another famous witch I may touch on her in the, in the future, I'm not sure yet. Gardner took many of the practices and beliefs of the New Forest co Coven, combined them with ceremonial magic Kabbalah and the writings of Aleister Crowley, as well as other sources. Together, this package of beliefs and practices became the Gardnerian traditional Wicca. Gardneri, or Gardneri, Gardner initiated a number of high priestesses in, to his own coven, who in turn initiated new members of their own, and this is how Wicca spread through the UK, and then he, and then eventually the US. So in 1964, unfortunately, he, on his way back from a trip from Lebanon, Gardner suffered a fatal heart attack at breakfast on the ship in which he traveled. And then he was buried in Tunisia, and then, let's see, his body was removed from the ship and buried. Legend has it that the that only the ship's captain was in attendance in 2007. He was reinterred in a different cemetery 
for a plaque on his headstone read Father Modern Mucha, beloved of the great goddess. So he's super, super influential. So, so here are some more of the origins of the gardening path. Now take everything with a grain of salt because I do have experience with Gardnerian and I don't believe that they would leak the information to a website. So there's that. So Gerald Gardner launched Wicca shortly after the end of World War II and went public with his coven, which started a whole lot of drama. Went public following the repeal of England's witchcraft laws in the early 1950s. There was a good deal of debate within the Wiccan community about whether the Gardnerian path is the only true Wiccan coven, but the point remains that it was certainly the first. Gardnerian covens require initiation and work on a degree system. Much of their information is initiatory and oath-bound, which means it can never be shared with those outside the coven. So that's why you should always take a grain of or any information regarding Gardnerian with a grain of salt because you don't know for sure if that is legit, if that's what they're what is that's actually what they do. You do not know that. So, and Gardner was problematic. He actually published what he called the Book of Shadows way back when, which included like the Ardaints or the, the Wiccan law, like the Ten Commandments, only Wiccan. And so, when he released the Book of Shadows, it was created by him with some assistance and entity for Dorian Villette, who is a badass and a, another extremely powerful witch. And so his Book of Shadows, I don't know if the, I can't verify if the Book of Shadows he published is actually the one, um, but it is passed down through the lineage. So. Here it goes into his, into the Ardanes here. So in the 1950s, when Gardner was writing what eventually became the Gardnerian Book of Shadows, one of the items he included was a list of guidelines called Ardanes. The word Ardanes were very unordained or law. Gardner claimed that the Ardanes were ancient knowledge that had been passed down to him by way of the New Forest Covenant Witches. However, it's entirely possible that Gardner wrote them himself. There was some disagreement in scholarly circles, but the language contained within the Ardanes, in that some of the phrasing was archaic while some others were more contemporary. This led to a number of people, including Gardner's high priest historian Valente, to question the authenticity of the Ardanes. Valente had suggested a set of rules for the covenant which included restrictions on public interviews and speaking with the press. Gardner introduced these Ardanes or old laws to his coven in response to the complaints by Valente. Basically, they had kind of a little bit of a falling out because he went public with something that should not have been public. One of the largest problems with the Ardanes is that there is no concrete evidence of their existence prior to Gardner's revealing them in 1957. Valente and several other coven members questioned whether or not he had written them himself. After all, much of what is included in the Ardanes appears in Gardner's book, Witchcraft Today as well as some of his other writings. Shelley Rabinovich, the author of the Encyclopedia of Modern Witchcraft and Neopaganism, says after a coven meeting in late 1953, Valente asked him about the Book of Shadows and some of its text. 
He had told the coven that the material was ancient text passed down to him, but Doreen had identified passages that were blatantly copied from the ritual magic of Aleister Crowley, which he is a, a famous magician as well. He's more associated with Thelema or ceremonial magic, which, well, Thelema is ceremonial magic, but he's older than than Gardner. One of Valente's strongest arguments against Ordains, in addition to the fairly sexist language and misogyny, Gardner was extremely problematic, was that these writings never appeared in any previous coven documents. In other words, they appeared when Gardner, need Gardner needed them most and not before. Cassie Buyer of Wicca for the Rest of Us says, The problem is that no one's sure if the new Forest Coven even existed, or if it did, how old or organized it was. Even Gardner confessed to what they taught or confessed what they taught was fragmentary. It should also be noted that while the old law speaks only on the punishment of burning for witches, England most certainly hanged their witches. Scotland, however, did burn them. The dispute over the origins of our Danes eventually led Valenti and several other members of the group to part ways with Gardner. The Ordains remain a part of the standard Gardnerian Book of Shadows, however, they are not followed by every Wiccan group and are rarely used by non-Wiccan pagan traditions. There are 161 Gardains in Gardner's original work, and that's a lot of rules to be followed. Some of the Ordains read as fragmentary sentences or as continuations of the lives before. Many of them do not apply to today's society. For instance, number 35 reads, And if any break these laws, even under torture, the curse of the goddess shall be upon them, so that they may never be reborn on earth, may remain where they belong, in the hell of the Christians. Many pagans today would argue that it makes no sense at all to use the threat of the Christian house punishment for violating the mandate. However, there are also a number of guidelines that can be helpful and practical advice such as a suggestion to keep a book of herbal remedies. A recommendation that if there is a dispute within the group, it should be fairly evaluated by the high priest to send a guideline on keeping one's book of shadows in safe possession at all times. And you can actually look up the Ardanes and read them yourself. So, so just a quick passing because, well, this is a beginner podcast, but how... What came to America is that in 1963, Gardner initiated Raymond Buckland, who wrote Raymond's Big Blue Book. He flew back to the home in the United States and formed the first Gardnerian coven in America. Gardnerian Wiccans did America trace their lineage to Gardner through Buckland. Because Gardnerian is a Wicca is a mystery tradition, its members do not generally advertise or actively recruit new members. In addition, public information about their specific practices and rituals is very difficult to find because they're oath-bound. They're not going to talk about it. So, anyway, so that's a brief history of Gerald Garner and brief history of his tradition, Gardnerian Wicca. So, moving on, I'm going to go to a new segment I actually wanted to incorporate. I'm going to do like a spell a week or so that I give to you so that you can start your own book of shadows and that you can basically expand your knowledge. So be with the given circumstance in these unprecedented times of the quarantine, I was going to do a healing spell or I'll give you information for a healing spell. This is coming from Everyday Witch A Disease Spell Book by Deborah Blake. And specifically, it's on page 108. It's healing. 
So the goal for this spell is to promote physical, mental, or spiritual health. Optional extras, blue candle, picture of the person you are working for, or paper with your name on it. Healing herbs such as calendula, lemon balm, lavender, mint. Notes, keep in mind that it is inappropriate to do healing work for or on others without their consent. I realize this seems like a strange rule, but there are folks who wouldn't want magic done on their behalf. They are entitled to say no. In addition, sometimes people need to be ill for reasons you may not understand. Please ask permission before doing this spell for someone else. Need is in quotation marks because I don't think, well, which is a good thing because I don't think anyone needs to be ill. Well, in the broad sense, there may be some karmic thing that needs to happen, but not everything happens for a reason. This spell may be done for yourself. Just say me instead of another person's name. The spell can be done for healing of any kind, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. It can also be done for a pet. So, let's see, it doesn't, doesn't give, like, supplies, like, listed, but, oh, yeah, it does. I read that, too. Oh, I am so out of it today. So, you're going to light the candle. And place a picture or name of the person you are working for in front of the candle. Visualize a person surrounded with blue healing light. If you are casting a spell outside, you can toss the herbs into a bonfire for extra effect. God and Goddess. Grant blanket and name a person. Healing of body, mind, heart, and spirit. Send your healing energy to mend what is broken. Center what has become unbalanced. And soothe what is painful. So mote it be. So there is a good... Quick healing spell. I you can you, before and after you can cast a circle or what have you, or you can just do it. It's whatever your tradition calls for and whatever feels right for you. The energy is going to go to the place regardless. So now we are going to our correspondences of the week. Sorry, I was just typing on my computer there. Do do. So for the herbs, this is also coming from Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs by Scott Cunningham. So I chose horseradish. Kind of randomly chose it this week. This planet is Mars, and its element is fire. Its powers are purification and exorcism. Magical uses. Horseradish root, dried and grated or ground, should be sprinkled around the house, in corners of the steps, outside, and on door sills. This will make all evil powers clear out and will diffuse any spells that may have been sent against you. So that's horseradish. It's not just something you eat with sushi. No, that's wasabi. Well, that's wasabi. Fake wasabi is horseradish. So we're moving on to the stones. So the stone I picked up for the day is rhodocrusite, which is a another another herb. I think it's ruled by the same planet of horseradish. So let me double check here. Because that would be amazing if it was and a really cool 
not correspondence because I don't believe in those, but really cool. It is. It is ruled by Mars. As well, horse strategy and rotocruta are ruled by Mars. Energy is, proje is projective. Its element is fire. Whose powers are energy, peace, and love. Magical uses. This beautiful pink stone is carried or worn to lend extra energy during times of extreme physical activity. So you can go ahead and put it in your bag on, during a marathon. It is also soothing to the emotions in the body, de-stressing it. For a soothing bath, add a piece of rhodochrosite to the tub or wear the stone during a bath. While this may seem to be opposed to the first magical uses here, remember that it is your empowering of the stone that fine-tunes fine it to your magical need. Rhodochrosite is always is also carried to draw love, which is not surprising considering it's a pinkish stone. So there we have rhodochrosite, so you can add that to your stone arsenal. And now we're going on to the tarot card of the week. So this, this week, it's the Hermit. And this is coming from the Thoth Tarot, which is by Evelyn Berger and Johan Fiber. Well, it's their book that came with it. Alistair Crowley, who I mentioned him earlier, developed this, this deck. And the stone came from Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Crystal Gym and Metal Magic by Scott Cunningham. So today, it's the Hermit. So keep your lamp ready and light up your environment. Carter represents the necessary phases of conscious, loneliness, meditation of sinking into practical work or fasting. Seclusion, silence, and reflection are not just something for a rainy day. They are means of concentration, self-awareness, and reassurance that you need for your development. Here, searching and fighting are not necessarily the same. Make sure that you arrive. Don't forget the finding. Begin with yourself. In many cases, the words of Francis of Assisi apply. What you are looking for is what is looking. Finally, the card signals a higher degree of responsibility and adjustment. Relieve debt in both the physical and the moral realm. Sow and harvest. Multiply the wealth and well-being for you and your fellow man. If it pops up into the love reading... If I hang onto another person because I cannot stand on my own feet, it can perhaps be a lifesaver. Her relationship is not love. Paradoxically, the ability to be alone is a precondition for the ability to love. That's a quote from Eric Fromm. Which makes sense because uh, if you can't love yourself, are you going to be able to love another? Which that's, you're still deserving of love if you can't love yourself, but you can't pour from an empty cup. The happiness reading, the hermit embodies a man who solves his problems at the right time, or woman, or person, and attends to his responsibilities without sweeping anything on the carpet. You too have the opportunity to make yourself in the world far better. Bring the lantern light into the matter and give yourself the courage to look closely. And success? Keys to success. Come clean and reflect on your heart. So if you... So it could mean loneliness in a reading. Got something that you're setting out on your own. Or that you are lonely. Or that you maybe you're secluded. The Hermit is a little bit self-explanatory depending on the context. And the, the spread that you're doing, of course. So now you have an introduction. You've been introduced to Gerald Gardner. So you can say that you know you you know about him, you've heard about him. You also have a healing spell for you to do in these trying times, as well as an herb and well rhodochrosite and horseradish as your correspondences of the week, and the hermit for your tarot card. 
so you have a better understanding of Wicca and witchcraft. But remember, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at at at, at, at cornfedwitch. You can also check me out on Patreon and Etsy. The Etsy is kind of inactive. I haven't really developed it. But Patreon I do use. As well as you know, stay safe. Look after each other. Oh, and you can send your witchy anecdotes to cornfedwitch at gmail.com. Once again, this is Sarah, a cornfed witch. And I am hoping that you have bright blessings for next week. So mode it be. Goodbye.